0: Hi everyone, welcome to The Superficial Spirit where we explore how pop culture affects our spiritual experiences. My name is Peter Breeze. Join me while we ask a very important question. What the hell did pop culture do to me? Welcome back to The Superficial Spirit. It's your friendly neighborhood superstar, Peter Breeze, and I have one of the most iconic people I know personally. I still can't believe that I can call this person a friend. Who?
1: Who could that be? (laughs) Who do you have? Who's here besides
0: me? I'll give you a hint. (laughs) It is the Night Fever podcaster, party monster and freak show author, Sirius XM Radio Andy host, senior editor of The Raw Report, and... Some Club Kid stuff, you know, just a little little dipping our toes in the Club Kid scene. It's James St. James.
1: Well, that makes me sound really fabulous. I had no idea that that's my my, my resume.
0: You (laughs) are literally the most fabulous person that I know, I think, in real life. Like, historically, pop-culturally, personally, you just, you you check all
1: the boxes, honey. Well, we need to get you out a little bit more. <laughs> we need to... <laughs> well, I am in
0: Canada. Like, there is a limit to the glamour, I think, in Canada.
1: Um, well, you know, it's funny, because I didn't realize that you had moved, and apparently it's been several years now, but you're in Toronto. I think Toronto is a really fabulous, fabulous town. I There's some really fun, fun people there. there there's is, a glamour to it. Yeah.
0: There is. You know what? I think, too, depending on when you come to the city, because I spent my... I spent my teens in the prairies, like in Alberta. I don't even know if you know where Alberta is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But BC and Vancouver is where I was, you know, in the thick of the nightlife. And I remember people telling me about Vancouver, like, Vancouver is called no fun Vancouver. Like, nothing happens here. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I came here from Calgary. This is like the biggest city, the best parties. You were up here. (laughs) You were like, (laughs) I was, yeah, I was freezing cold on the corner. Streets of Calgary, but when I came to Toronto in my early 30s, um, I think I just turned 30. I could not believe how big it was, and if I would have come here in my 20s, oh my god, it would have been there, like there would have
1: been a lot of trouble. You would have got you. You would not <laughs> be here in your 30s talking about spirituality <laughs> now. <laughs> I might be. Ch- I might be
0: being channeled by podcasters. They'd be channeling me up in heaven to come down and talk about the Oh it no. Well, wow, that started. I mean, off you know, I'll on tell you a... something
1: though, but we got into some trouble in Vancouver. We you managed to find some of <laughs> some of the, the the crazy stuff. I remember an after hours party with you that was very outray outray. Oh yeah. So
0: 2013 you came to Vancouver for the screening of Party Monster. And I also wasn't sure because I'd met you in 2010 in Hollywood. You came to a show of mine. Biggest stream oh, yeah. ever. Oh James yeah, Jameson. Remember, because I had a, I had buy me a drink, buy me a drink had come out. Oh, I love yes. that
1: song. I still love that song. Yes, yes. You put it I, on. We met here in, in Hollywood first. I, yeah, I at your lounge. Like we, that we were um, MySpace buddies too, weren't we? Uh, probably. Yeah, I mean.
0: I was following you as soon as I had seen Party Monster and was on the internet. I tracked you down. And you basically, what kicked off our friendship is I emailed you and Perez Hilton, my music video. You both got back to me. Um, you were like, I love this. This is amazing. You put it on the wow report. It got like 20,000 views overnight or something on YouTube. Perez was like, you're cute. And then I never heard from him again, that fucker. Oh. Um, but you were so receptive to me. And I felt like celebrated by you from across, you know, I was in Canada, you were in America. And when I came to Hollywood to do my show, I invited you, I thought you would maybe come and like say hello you showed up with a fucking camera. We partied all night. You <laughs> interviewed me. It was like, oh my god, I'm a star.
1: Aw, that's me. Yeah, no, I think I, I had a little crush or something because because we <sighs> we bonded right away. We had a lot of fun. We
0: did, we did. Yeah, it was it was a dream. And then when you came to Vancouver, I was going to say I didn't know if you would want to party, I was like, you know, James is coming, we're doing the screening. And I really just wanted to make sure you were comfortable. Of course, all the club kids in Vancouver freaking out weeks and weeks and weeks leading up to this. Remember, (laughs) as soon as you got into the building of the Rio, they were, like, coming for you backstage. And I was like, leave James alone for, like,
1: five fucking minutes. (laughs) They just well, came that, that problem that I had, where it was sort of like that Sid Vicious thing, where Sid said that no, he couldn't go anywhere without people trying to get him high, and that was you know, and it was the same. You know, you write a book about Special K, and everywhere you go, everyone's like, "Come into the bathroom with me, come into the bathroom." With me. <laughs> and I didn't have the wherewithal at that point to say, "No, I've got to go on stage in ten minutes." And so I think I, he, you know, yeah.
0: I think you were good. I think after the show is when we went to that. It was like a house and it lasted all like I mean I don't know. We the sun was coming yeah, up when think, we went home. Well,
1: the thing I remember about that is that like everywhere in Vancouver you have to drive like 7 hours yes. to get anywhere. And we were like <laughs> we almost made it to Calgary. We were almost in Alberta <laughs> by the time we found the after hours place and the sun was coming up and I was huddled in a corner oh with with some oh god there was I, So really fabulous trans girl that we were hanging out. Yes. Yes. And she came, she ended up in LA. Um, uh, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You did a series. Wow. Did a series with her. I think when she went to Mexico to do some um, of her Um, surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. Some
1: plastic surgery. Oh, I remember that. Oh yeah. We, I totally forgot about that. Yes. She was a trip. Oh, we had fun. (laughs) I remember.
0: Um, I don't know if this is a story for the podcast, whatever. Um, Evan, who I was with, um, quana was giving him some party favors and lying about what it was. And he was like looking out the window and was like, Peter, I don't know what this... It was just, you know what? Oh, no. It was... Yeah, Quano was famous for doing that kind of stuff. But there I remember
1: is nothing worse. <laughs> Michael A. used to do that all the time too. He would do a bump and he'd be like, What is it? And he'd be like, Oh, it's just Coke, and then all of a sudden be like meth oh. and he'd be up five days later. Oh, oh, oh it's the love. worst. Like, please just give me my Coke. I'm glamorous, <laughs> honey. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And I do remember too when we went to the hotel. Where um, the guy from Lee passed away. What was his name? Oh, oh my gosh! Because you wanted to go to all the,
0: (laughs) I forgot about that. You asked to go to the place where Corey died. Corey Moncrief died at one of the hotels through a drug overdose.
1: Rose on the door.
0: Yes, yes. Oh Oh, wow! There was so much that happened. That was only a couple days, right? Um. So listen, your new podcast is. So, so, so amazing. I know it's in season two right now, and I'm obsessed with it. I've been listening to it since it started, Night Fever. It's amazing. It's kind of like a history lesson in glamour. For people like me, who who have been so connected to nightlife and your story, the club kids, it's like going to a history class. Like you're getting a university-style lesson in where did this whole concept started? Who were the people in the early days and how did it evolve? And I'm just, first of all, thank you for putting those stories together because I love it. Why do you think it's so important to share these stories now?
1: Well, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we're we're telling stories from the, the 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. And we're trying to interview the architects of the scene, the people who built the club scene um, and gave it the, the the grit and the glamour and everything that it had um, before the club kids came around, which we talked to a lot of club mm-hmm. kids and a lot of post-club kids and things like that. But we talked to a lot of people in the scenes before. Um, going back, we, we have some Warhol people this season, coming up, season from the... 60s. Um, we talk you know, uh, mud club people, um, punk rock people, Studio 54, disco era, all that stuff. And it's important that... To remember, you know, I I was just telling you before we started that I I know these people and I, you know, these are all friends of mine. Every single person that we've done has been a a friend of mine and I know their stories. I know the where 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 to go in these interviews. I, I, I come very prepared and. If we don't tell these stories, they're 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 going to disappear into the you know the dustbin of history. And this last time, we were just talking to the doorman at the Mud Club, and he was talking about Howie Pyro, who was one of the DJs there. And we were talking about our friend Marcus Leatherdale and. Um, who is a, a photographer in the area age and Annie Flanders who started detail in the Soho weekly news. And oh, we were talking about them and before the episode came out, all three of them had passed away. And you know, these were people that we wanted on the show. But if, you know, these people are all getting to be of a certain age and we, you know, this is probably, you know, you know, like Peter Gation who is you mm-hmm. know, getting better, Rudolph, um, you know, that these might be some of the last interviews that we do with these people, not to say that, that Peter or Rudolph are, you know, on death's doorstep or anything like that, but they're just, you know, they're in their seventies and, you know, they they're aren't active in the club scene anymore. So I want to try and get as many stories as I can before, you know, while we still can.
0: It's like you've you've been the leader when it comes to bringing the stories from those days to the public. Um, you know, first with your Party Monster, Disco Bloodbath, um, you've been like the voice of that community in so many ways. And now with this podcast, is that something you feel called to do? Like when, way back when, when the party started, did you feel a sense of, this is special and I'm gonna to have to share this with people at some point.
1: Um interestingly, no. It's sort of I it's it's something that I know that I can do, that I have the ability to do, that I am connected in a way that a lot of other people aren't, and that I um that this is I, I can do a lot of these interviews in my sleep, you know. Um, mm. um Someone like Diane Brill or Michael Musto Mm -hmm. or Suzanne Barsh. I, you know, I know that I've known them for 30 plus years. I know, you know, I, I've been a fan of theirs for 30 years. I know their stories inside and out, um, So I can do it. But when I was approached to do it, when Randy and Fenton said, let's do this podcast, I was like, oh, dear God, no. Please, 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 please. I have been trying to get away from nightlife. I do not need to go back. I do not need to revisit this. Please don't make me do it. And they kept saying, no, 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 no. Please just do it. Just We'll do a couple episodes and see how it feels. And once I started doing it, I realized, oh, yeah, this is totally in my wheelhouse. This is totally something that I can do. But at the time, I kept thinking, no, I've got other place things to do other places to go I don't need to keep getting dragged back to mm. crises, mm. but once I'm there I, I tend to have a good time this is something that I wanted to
0: ask you because when I look at you and your life your creative life and the way that people engage with you and the creative stuff you put out there there's this constant reference to that time of your life. You're always like being celebrated for that and being asked about that. And I'm sure people, like you just said, when you go to parties, everybody's like, tell me about the club kids. What was Michael like? Tell me like, exactly. And so you, you, you just mentioned that you were trying to move away from that, but again, you're pulled back to tell the story and people like me are like, thank God, but how do you reconcile? Like, what has it been like for you? You know, over the decades, having to constantly answer those questions, constantly revisit it. And while simultaneously being
1: like, I have other shit to do, people, please. Well, um, you know, it's funny because I remember um, talking to Pete Burns one time and he was saying names are starting to drop. (laughs) Here we go. Drop something, honey. Watch out for falling names. And he said that um, sometimes when he's backstage and they start those opening chords of "You Spin Me Right Around," he just wants to crawl into a fetal position and cry and never get on this. It's like it's just too much. And I remember Judy Garland saying that wherever she went for her entire life, no matter where she was, the opening chords of "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" would start playing, <laughs> and that it just it got to be a point where you either have to accept it and deal with it and go on with it or you can try and run from it and and try and fight it and you'll never be able to do that you know so at a certain point you're just gonna have to lean into it a little bit and i know when i first started doing transformations and the Mm -hmm. idea was is that I wanted to meet the new kids. I wanted to see who the new people were. I wanted to see the young creative club kids and makeup artists and drag queens and trans girls and, you know, trans drag Kings and everything like that. And I wanted them to come on and show me what they were doing and what was what was new in the scene. And it was a way for me to stay connected with the scene, but I didn't have to go out. I could play in other people's closets and I could meet the kids and I wouldn't have to go and sit at an after hours club at (laughs) five in the morning, you know, hearing about it so i i i have an interest in it i will always be interested mm. in i will always be interested in who the people are and i will always be connected to it and so there's there really is no sense in fighting it at this point i can do other things and i can have other. you know i i do a radio show in which i talk you know we talk about you know what's happening this week you know, what's yeah. happening in, in pop culture and things. So I, I, I get to be creative in other ways, but I just realized at some point that I'm always going to be dragged back to, you know, Danceteria. Or why well, yeah out.
0: and it's it's like those tropes or the icons are always known for that one thing, but the people who yeah. are experiencing it for the first time with you in the moment it's magic for them, and for you it's like I've done this a million times, and you just like I love the references you made
1: of you just have to lean into it um yeah. and make it work um, for you and I do realize that like w- w- with dragcon um and you you meet these people and they come up to you, and they're They're telling you how important you know, Party Monster was to them or or how it – and you realize that, yeah, I've been through it a million times and I've talked about it a million times. But for a lot of people, it is – this is a really big moment for them to talk about something that influenced them. And you have to give every single person the same amount. You have to meet their level of interest and their level of energy and you have – because it's not about you. It's about them. One interesting
0: thing you said when you were in Vancouver that still resonates with me, um, somebody in the audience was asking you, same thing, I love Party Monster, changed my life. And you said something along the lines of, um, and they were asking how it feels to be an inspiration or, and you said something like, you know, that story was supposed to be a warning, (laughs) It was supposed to be a warning of like, how things can go sideways. And it's like people forget the second part of the movie. They're just so they're so or the book, they're so um, enraptured by the the beautiful chaos and the looks and the fame and the glamour. But you were like, it was supposed to be a warning. And I just remember yeah. sitting there beside you dressed as Claire the Chicken being like,
1: damn. wow it's funny you should mention that because the same thing happened to me where um you know edie uh the book edie about edie sedgwick was a very big influence when i was like 14 years old it came out and i read it and i wanted to be edie sedgwick i thought she was the most glamorous person on the planet and the idea of being a warhol superstar and just that decadence and the chaos and the 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 fabulous you know way she lit up the sky and was a fire you know uh and all of that well um before he died george plimpton who you know wrote the book was being interviewed by like homo extra or something i think and they said you know james st james has gone on record saying how much he wanted to be like edie sedgwick and he sort of clutched his heart and he said dear god edie sedgwick is a cautionary tale nobody should want to be like edie sedgwick and it's I was sort of taking the wrong lessons from Edie and saying how glamorous it was when he was trying to show the world how how, you know, that's not something to ever aspire to. And shortly after that, he had a heart attack and died. And I always tell people that I gave George Blimpton (laughs) a heart attack that killed him because I had said that I wanted to be like you Sedgwick. And he, so it's sort of the same thing where I understand that people are going to look at the club kids and see, um, the glamor and fun and the excitement of it. But there is at the end of the day, you don't want to be Michael A. nobody should want to be Michael A. No, no. And this is something that comes up a lot in your podcast. Um, because
0: people have moved on from the scene in various ways, they're looking back in retrospect. So they have a whole life now worth of lessons and knowledge to look back and and talk about it with some distance. And I love when you all talk about drugs and drinking and the people in this, there's two stories that stand out and I don't remember who they were about. One is um, Fenton, or maybe it was you said, you know, when you dedicate your life to nightlife, there is no retirement fund and there's no place for you once you get to a certain age so if you don't find a way to get out of it before it's too late you're kind of trapped that was one yeah. thing that uh, that mm-hmm. i all that i was always worried about the second is if you are not able to get sober and that kind of takes you away whether through addiction or by an overdose you actually miss out on the potential and the opportunity that the scene can offer you as a launch pad. And mm-hmm. I just found it so interesting to hear. There was something you guys talked about where she died at home. She always wanted to be a movie star. And mm-hmm. on her deathbed, she said, I wish I was, I just wish I would have let myself be happy for one day. Cause yeah,
1: she, Sylvia miles, oh. Sylvia miles who um, famously infamously notoriously was chased fame her entire life and was you know would whenever she was mentioned in some place in a magazine she would cut it out and laminate it and put it in saran's ramp and take it out and show everybody did you see me in new york magazine did you see me in you know an interview magazine and her whole life was spent chasing it and near the end of her life in her last days she said i just wish that i'd didn't hurt anymore. I didn't have any pain anymore. And I wish that I could just go out and enjoy, you know, life without all of that. And it's, um, the thing is, I mean, I mean we can go into drugs and addiction and everything. Um, uh, and, and how, I don't, I, a lot of times I don't understand someone. We just did um conversation with Larry T and Larry is writing a book about how you can be a sober partying person, how you can be, you know, go out to cl- still be a part of nightlife and be sober. And that's, that's a hard one. That is a hard thing to navigate because it is, it's all around you and it's celebrated and it's um, and there's, Sometimes like you feel like there's a FOMO that's happening when with other people when they're they're fucked up and you're drinking soda club soda and it's um and you sort of get to see how dis- you know, like how sloppy people get, and how you know, like when people start grinding their teeth and they're on coke got out of their minds, and you start thinking, "Well, that was me. I don't that. I don't want to be that." And I, you know, I was the worst person on coke. Dear God in heaven, I, you know, I was. You both. Per- I yeah, I was you know like this, <laughs> craven creature. I was a golem standing in the corner, you know, like with my grinding my teeth, saying, "You got a bump, girl. You got a bump, girl. Let's go." the bathroom and you know there's a whole period where from like 91 to 97 where there are no pictures of me because anytime the camera came out i was in a bathroom stall somewhere hiding from cameras you know and i wouldn't be interviewed by anyone because i was talking like yes, yeah so there's i missed out on a lot and i am happy that i'm not that person anymore But by the same token, I don't know that I can go out and go to after-hours clubs anymore and sit around and watch it, you know? No, I I think it depends, too. Like,
0: if you start in the scene drinking and doing drugs and then you try to be a sober person and go out and have the same experience, it is not going to work. Well, yeah. I think it would be really hard to compare like the intensity of being fucked up and like the calmness of being sober. But some people, if they start out in the scene, I think it was Michael Musto said um, he didn't really drink. Michelle Visage said that on your show, too. There are some people who come in and they're not really drawn to the drinking and the drugs. And they seem to be able to use nightlife as a tool and as something that can take them somewhere else. And they don't have that tension.
1: Right. I don't think they have the the gene in them to to take it as I, you know, I take everything I do as far as I can take it. It's just that's who I am. There's no middle ground with me. I do know when I first started going, I started going out at like 15, 16 and I would um, ride my bike to the gay bar in Fort Lauderdale and I would use my lunch money to buy one drink and I would nurse it for like three hours all night long. So I with drinking, I don't have a problem. I I can go out and I can have two drinks and I can go home and it's I don't need to. But if I do one bump of coke, it turns into 5 days later and I'm in Tijuana at a donkey show with, you know, three hustlers and, you know, I'm in an eight ball. There's just there there's once I do one thing, I it's like like that. It's like a an escalation, but I don't have that with drinking. So I I can go out and I and I've learned now that I can go out and I can have I can have one drink and go home and and anything more than one or two drinks. And the, the night starts to get a little crazy, but I can, yeah. I can do it.
0: I, I, if I could talk to my 15 year old, a uh, 15 year old self, I, I actually started partying later. I wish I didn't have such a strong, like I honest to God thought, and I talk about this all the time. If I do drugs like Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, I will become them. If I go out and embody <laughs> it, I will become them. And you, you just mentioned this, you, you, when you're in nightlife and you're fucked up and you're a hot mess, but you're out every night and you look fabulous and you have a song that everybody likes, you actually are in a way, a smaller version of like that rich and famous. Yeah. social So it feeds into that, that toxic, like legend of If I, if I copy it, I'll become it. But looking back, if I had more clarity, I probably could have navigated it and gone a little bit further, but it's so hard not to attach to that fame. And when you get a little bit of fucking attention, Oh. Oh my God, all everything goes out the window. When you're on the cover of a fucking newspaper, when you're on the guest list of every party in the city, when people take your pictures, you walk into a club, who fucking cares about anything else? That's how it feels.
1: And it's very hard to um, and, and to like Michelle's credit um, where she did not get sucked up into that but she got the attention and then was able to just say okay I can walk away from nightlife and concentrate on this or to to be able to walk away from it at the right time is v- is very hard to do because you keep there's always tomorrow night's party there's always tomorrow's party says Nico saying about, you know, um and when you're getting attention to not just keep wanting more attention. Yeah. And I I learned I was able to walk away a couple times. Um when I well the first time <laughs> I in 91 I left the club kids scene and moved to Miami. Um, cause I was, I was, I recognized that I was doing too much Coke and that I wanted to see if I could write if I was, if I had it in me to be a writer. And so I thought I would go to Miami beach, which was at the time, you know, wasn't fabulous. Really. It was all, you know, decayed buildings and all the, and there was a few drag queens there and people were starting to come, but I thought I would go and get an apartment there and get a shit job and just write. And well, going to Miami to get away from cocaine was not the the way to go. Not the move. I learned that. But I did learn that I could step away from the New York club scene. And then when the whole thing with Angel happened and I knew it was a breaking point and I knew I had to get away from it. I was able to do it at the right time. It's kind of wild
0: to think that the club kids – were so electric and, and generated so much attention. Like I think of the press you all got like going on these talk shows and it was just this national and global, I guess moment, right? What -hmm. would have happened if it didn't go dark and people didn't get addicted to drugs? What would that movement have translated to over the years, over the decades, if people didn't lose themselves in the destructive side?
1: Well, interesting i mean you can you can pull that same thread with aids and you can say you know all the people that we lost with aids what would they be doing right now where where would culture be if we still had all these creative types if we still had you know klaus nomi if we still had you know uh tina chow where would fashion be and i always think to myself like where would Lee Bowery be 30 years later? What looks have we lost out on? What, what he moved the needle so much in fashion, in theater, and nightlife, and all of that stuff. And what if we had another 30 years of that, you know? Uh. And so, um, it's the same thing with the club kids. A lot of times things end for a reason because they've gotten, they've, they've, they've gone to a certain point and they can't really go beyond that. And I think maybe that's what was happening a little bit with the club kids because it had gone from being this celebratory, beautiful, spiritual awakening in all of us to being something very dark and, and deadly and dangerous. And this, what, what happened was sort of a logical conclusion to, um, uh, uh the way things were going and i don't Mm -hmm. know that it could have sustained itself um because it was so nihilistic and so dark and so um just getting bitchy and mean yeah you know some of some of some of the characters during that period were were not good people and were not nice people and i recognized that and i saw that and then when it all went down i couldn't help but think it it needed to end. It just needed to, it needed to be reset. We needed a, a cultural reset. And, um, so I wish it hadn't happened the way that it did. I, I regret that every day, but I see that it was probably for the best that a lot of those people left and went on to move on to other areas.
0: And they did like, there was a lot of huge names that came out of that time. Um, Two names that came up come up a lot in your podcast that surprised me, um, RuPaul. RuPaul didn't yeah. surprise me that much because I knew that she was around in that time. But Madonna, Madonna comes up so much with these early nightlife people. And in my mind, I, I kind of know the story of Madonna. She went to New York with $20. She didn't know anybody. She wanted to be a star. But the way you all talk about Madonna, how she was in the club and she was a go-go dancer and she was a bitch and she didn't let anyone backstage... I'm like, damn, not only did the club kids like that moment happen, but we got the world's biggest pop star from that same community. What was in the water? Uh, I wish I had grown up like that was crazy to hear you all talk about Madonna in that way. It was so cool.
1: It's so funny because we just talked to man Parish. I don't know if you know, man, he, um, he was an early hip hop, um, uh, singer. He, uh, was a friend of Warhol's. He was he was very much a war he just a, a beautiful, beautiful man. And one of those people who was at every point along the way. He was, you know, on Halston's couch with Truman Capote. He was in the in the Bronx with Grandmaster Flash. He was, you know, uh in the interview crowd. He was in this and he was telling a story about how he was singing at Studio 54. He and Madonna opened up for him. And that right before uh, she came in and said, "Um, oh no, it's been switched and you're opening for me. And he was like, no, that's not how it goes. And she said, well, let's just w- see how this plays out. And then he went to go go on stage and his dancers couldn't find their outfits and she had stolen <laughs> the outfits and put them behind the radiator in the hallway and destroyed <laughs> them so that he couldn't. And then she went out on stage and she was like, it's Madonna. And then he had to go on like three hours later after as her, you know, I. Like, so she like she's always doing these things and there's um like Musto was talking about how like he she opened for him and she, like, sabotaged the microphone and wouldn't let anyone come back stay. Like, there's just always these fun stories about (laughs) Madonna. Just what a nightmare she was. But God bless her. that She was not drinking. She was not doing drugs. She was laser-focused on this is how I am going to use the scene to get what I want. She was going to fuck Jelly Bean Benitez, and she was going to, you know, perform at Danceteria, and then she was going to parlay that into this and that. You know, so God bless Madonna, early Madonna for giving up
0: these stories. Oh my, you told one story too, where she was in a club, um, like, with a hood on nobody really knew it was her and then she took it off and she turned on Madonna and everybody lost it and then she like ran out of the club and people started following her down the street. The
1: entire club this is a huge mega club and the doors fly open and she comes running out the door and the entire club follows her and she's racing down Avenue C jumping into a limousine and it was like that scene in Who's That Girl where she turns around and she laughs and she dives into the car and runs away. That was one of the most glamorous moments in my life. And it's so interesting because I have seen other people do this before. I was working at a bookstore and when things were gotten really bad for me and i was in you know um aa and i was just trying to pull my life together and so i got a shit job at a bookstore i loved it I was one of my favorite periods of my life cuz i love bookstores i love books i love all of that as you can see behind me and yes. um and i remember this guy came in and he had his hair in front of his face and nobody really noticed him and he was just sort of poking around the books and um No, no, not one person in the place noticed him. I noticed him because I just saw, sort sort of thought, well, how weird is this weird little, not homeless, but sort of like schleppy and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he wanted something. At one point he wanted help and he pushed his hair back and it was Johnny Depp and, uh, and this was Johnny Depp at the height of Johnny Depp beauty. Right. And it was like sound waves went through the bookstore. Every single person went, what? And like, he just, he smiled and it was this radiant smile and everybody ran to help him. And he got the help. And then he was able just to push his hair back in and sort of slept out of the store. And, like, he was able to turn it on and turn it off in a way that was, like, the same thing Madonna did. Like, she went in with the hood and the hair. And she didn't say she was Madonna, but she was just this little girl. And Madonna did it to me one time. Other than that, I don't know if I talked about this on the show. I'm sort of going off on a tangent here. But it was at... Um, uh, a Gaultier had had a fashion show in LA and I was, I wasn't living in LA and I was just visiting and there was an after party and there was a table set up and it, it sitting at the table was Danilo, the hairstylist and Joey Arias and uh lady, Miss Keir who was, you know, I do yeah. forever ever, and um, all these people. And I didn't, think anything about it and i just sat down at the table and i just started oh david la chapelle did it and i just was chattering away and i was like blah, blah blah you know being myself and i was like there was some little old italian lady sitting next to me and i was sort of like grabbing her by the shoulder and pulling her back and forth and slapping her on the back and be like and then and like just talking and had no and i just saw old, the look around the table as everyone's mouth was just hanging open like they were mortified with me and i kept thinking what am i doing wrong what am i doing wrong and i looked over and I like had Madonna by the arm and I was like shaking her (laughs) back and forth like as I was talking I was like "Ah, and everyone was like you can't touch Madonna (laughs) you can't grab Madonna and I had no idea it was her because she was doing that thing where she was just she was at a party and she wasn't going to be Madonna and she was just sort of like and I just was being like like that so it's always fascinated me when people can just turn it on and turn it off like that
0: I mean, okay, that's star power, that's star quality, somebody who can do that. But it's interesting to hear you say that because nightlife um, has always been about creating your own fame, right? Cultivating, making yourself a star. So when you look back and you compare, you know, people like Madonna who became bonafide mainstream superstars versus people who were famous in the scene, What's the difference between nightlife famous and bona fide fame? Is it a quality that somebody has that takes them further? What is it?
1: Well, no, because to me, you know uh like Diane Brill is the most glamorous woman on the planet. bar none. I mean, I would set Diane Brill next to Marilyn Monroe you know and and see which one could out glamorize out glamour the other one um so no, I think it's just um. It's a matter of of where I think so many of these people were given opportunities to to take it to different levels. But a lot of people feel comfortable in the club scene. You know, I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, or they get a taste. you know, some people get a taste and realize oh, this is not for me. I don't I don't want big fame. I think that's kind of what happened to Lady Miss Keir. You know, Mm -hmm. I think she was the most famous woman on the planet um, when, uh, uh, the album came out and, you know, um, what was the song? <laughs> Grooves in the heart. Oh my God. Groo- yeah. <laughs> yeah, Grooves in heart. Heart. <laughs> and she, you know, for a second there, she, there was, you know, being pushed and, and pulled and, and everyone wanted a piece of her. And I think that she thought, no, this isn't what I want. This is, I'm too cool for this. I don't need that. And so that's why she pulled back and went into the EDM genre and this is where she can be creative and this is what she wants to do with her life wow and so i think a lot of people and you do get a taste of it at a certain point you like you've said you get a taste of it and and some people are like i want more i want more i want more and other people are like you know what i'm happy in my lane yeah
0: yeah what about RuPaul, like was I've heard RuPaul was the same, similar to Madonna. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be famous. But in a way, RuPaul didn't become RuPaul till you know recently. Like with RuPaul's Drag Race household name, and I know a supermodel of the world came out and she had her talk show. But I feel like the level she's at right now is different. It's it's bigger. It's
1: more mainstream. It's touching more areas of the planet. Yeah, Rue is somebody, though, who has always been laser focused and has always known, you know, that I I think Rue talks about how during the Bush years it became, uh, you know, it was hard to sustain the level that she had gotten to where um, uh, there was a a pushback and uh, the world was starting to, you know, Get a little more conservative, and that she wasn't able to do the kind of projects that she wants wants to do. And it wasn't until 2008 when the world um, there was a backlash in Obama. And I mean, you can sort of take all the geopolitical things, Mm -hmm. the factors in going along with her success. And in the 90s, it was sort of um, it was very cool to to break rules and be subversive, like Rue was being. But that ended at a certain point. So. Rue has always been waiting and waiting for that moment to, to have her come mm-hmm. back, you know? Um, And I said in the podcast, I remember when she did the B-52s video before supermodels. And, and, and I said to myself, dear God, this is as big as RuPaul's ever going to get. This is, you know, no, no drag queen will ever get bigger than being in a B-52s video. This is, you know, this is the, the be all in end all for drag. And I was completely wrong because she just kept going and going and going like the energizer bunny. But she has always been. She doesn't. She's never. You know. She she was a partier, but then she she realized early, early on that that yeah. was not the path. In her book, yeah, she says that she she got sober. Um,
0: is there like listening to your podcast and just knowing you from this seventies, eighties, nineties nightlife? There's two ends of the spectrum that people end up on, like you know, really, really bad really, really bad. And then like Madonna, is there any resentment um, that you know of, of people who were in the same community, but didn't bank in the same way as you know, you, RuPaul, Madonna, people who are influential and have cultural impact and people know about.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is, um, there are still people to this day who, you know, are maybe frustrated or angry at Rue for not taking them along. Maybe. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like I remember back then, Miss thing was Baba. Oh, that bitch. I remember when she did this, that, and there's a lot of backstabbiness. I mean, you know that in, in, oh, in, yeah. the, in the yeah. game scene, in the club scene, in the drag scene. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there is, um, but I think also you, Always come to a point where you realize if you didn't make it, it was your own damn fault, mostly. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it, you self sabotaged yourself right out of a career.
0: That's a hard pill to swallow, honey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I recognize it even in my own life where you know I had opportunities that I, you know, just. Didn't, didn't follow up on and I regret those now you know you know what you actually you sent me an email when
0: I first we got in touch you put me on wow I sent I I don't know what I sent you like my package I was going to send you my CD CD this is before the internet before. right right um and I remember you said to me you need to come to Hollywood. You know that, right? You're like, Peter, you need to be here. You know that, right? If you're really serious, you need to come there. And I remember reading that email. I was an assistant at a talent agency at the time. And it was like, it rattled me because I knew that that was true, but I, I couldn't accept it. Like I had lived in Hollywood for three months before I moved to Vancouver. I had gone there. I chased Paris Hilton around the city. I met Britney Spears <laughs> I was blackout and don't remember. Um But that, that moment kind of haunts me because I look back and I'm like, damn, if I would have gone when James told me to, maybe James and I could have gone out. He could have introduced me to people. Like I could have gotten different momentum, but you need to have clarity, confidence, and you need to be able to, to see those moments when they come. And when they come, you need to be able to act on them. And that moment I couldn't, for whatever reason, I was like, it scared me.
1: no and and but you knew that you knew that you weren't you you weren't at that point where you could do that you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that takes that takes some, like you said some clarity and yeah. um and also i don't think that um and that this is this has nothing to do with me or you but i don't think that you can go to a place saying James will help me. James, James will get Mm. me this or James will get me that. Like it has to be you. It all has to come from you. And I know that I, um, gosh, a few years ago, I was um, texting with this person and uh, we were really getting along and we were really becoming close friends. And they said they were coming to LA and it never dawned on me that they were coming to LA for me. And they were expecting me to be their best friend and their best Judy and to take them out and to show them around and da da da. And when they got here, I was very busy. I was taking care of my mother who was who was not doing well and I was working and I and I didn't really have time to connect and we would talk, we would text, but I didn't I wasn't really going out and they were here for a couple of years and then they left and they were furious with me. And they said, oh, you don't no. know how many nights I ended up crying because you wouldn't be, you, you weren't with me and you weren't Tate, you weren't this. And I was like, I had no idea that you were here for me. Like I, I, you, I didn't, you didn't articulate that. And I didn't know that you had moved to LA thinking that I was yeah. going to be your savior. And I can't be anybody else. The savior. You have to be your own savior. Yeah. You have to. And yeah. So, it is it, it it always comes back to you having to be where you want to be where where you need to be at any given time and you mm-hmm. have to be the person that's going to to be your savior and be the person to <laughs> it has lift to you be up.
0: like I think Lady Gaga said you need to be delusional delusional enough to believe it's possible and you need to let that carry you forever and ever and ever because you're right. I mean, when you get to the point of like the tippy top of pop culture where you're known around the world, you're celebrated, you go through ebbs and flows. I'm I'm talking about like I know, (laughs) but I'm just assuming like you have to be able to, when everybody's gone when the money and fame isn't there how do you recharge and and propel yourself to the spotlight that you know you're destined to be at you can't rely on people and you're right i mean yeah. it is it's it's a slippery slope and i can only imagine being part of such an electric scene back then and then seeing how differently your life can turn out having the opportunity isn't enough wanting it is not enough yeah you, you don't even have to be the most talented hello Madonna
1: like no no no, no. that has a, that's the very least you have to do you know it, yeah the the talent is um it's it, it's more um you you are in the right place at the right time, and you are the right person at the right time, and you can uh propel yourself when you need to yeah so I wanted to ask
0: you and I don't know if you think this is true, but from my understanding, it's sort of like the warhol scene happened. The club kid scene happened. And then after that, I'm like, okay, well, what happens after that? And when I look back, you know what I think happened after that? The Paris Lindsay Britney paparazzi moment in Hollywood, like that trashy celebrity, celeb thing.
1: Would you say that that was an era in nightlife? Um Definitely. I do think that, um, the focus went away from New York for a minute. And as, um, social media started happening and as this idea of this trashy sort of fame became more and more, um, within uh, everyone's reach because of, you know, MySpace and Friendster and, and Instagram and all of that, that, uh, that it turned to Hollywood and there was nobody who was more emblematic of that period than Lindsay Brittany and, uh, <sighs> you know, the Holy Trinity Paris. Paris. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly when the blog started happening and Perez started happening and that was a whole moment in and of itself. And so that is, you know, suddenly bloggers were, you know, in the front row and on the A list at fashion shows and, this and that and then the Instagram superstars and the influencers and blah 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 so all of that does happen um I do think that um it's cyclical and I do think that just call all of that a scene is not quite what what the, the scenes before it were you know um it's sort of it's a little trashier and it's not quite as um it just it doesn't i can't look at tiktok stars and and say oh that's glamour that's you know that that's something um i remember that um uh lebowitz once said that um glamour is anything that is older than you glamour <sighs> is always the generation before you it's the, <sighs> the rock stars that your older siblings listen to it's the um it is that for her, glamour was um uh Cary Grant and Marlena Dietrich, but she could not look at um you know Molly Ringwald or Brad, Brad Pitt. To her, is a twink, and there's no way you can ever explain to her that Brad Pitt is glamorous or that Angelina mm-hmm. Jolie is, is glamour because to her, anything younger than her cannot be glamorous, it's always the generation above you. And oh, I so love that. To me, I can. Look at Amanda Lepore and recognize how how fabulous she is and how you know wonderful she is, but there's no glamour there for me. Like I can't look at <laughs> Amanda before and say, cause she's my generation. She's like my, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. She's, yeah. And I can't look at, you know, some of these, you know, the TikTok stars or the Instagram influencers and say, oh, that's so glad. That's so chic and exciting and blah, blah, blah. Cause to me, they're just, they're kids, you know, they're just kids playing dress up in, in like some silly Gucci outfit. And like, to me that, no, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's the the the, to me it's you know the warhol crowd it's it's yeah studio 54 crowd all you know it's the punk rockers and the you know so yeah you bring up a good point about social media um like the
0: if you think about the future of nightlife one is there a future of nightlife um that's what i'm curious about and also we've talked a lot in this hour so far about like star quality and people who become famous and like the illusion of fame. Do you think that stars are still created in clubs and at parties or has that completely moved to the internet?
1: Well, it it is what I like what I, what I'm saying where, um, yeah, there are young kids sitting at home watching, you know, these TikTok stars and thinking that's glamor. That's excitement because that's what's what's older than them. So that does still exist. It's not my crowd. It's not my generation. That's going to influence anyone anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the people who are out there now and the people who are watching them uh, sitting at home, watching it, uh, you know, from their little town saying, I've got to be like, you know, these people. I can't like, even name you know, them. Who are they? Like, Who are the TikTok stars? Know, to me, like Glotel <laughs> is like the last time I remember somebody yeah. becoming famous on social media, or, or Perez, or something like that. But I do recognize that that for young kids out there, that that is the the new fabulous thing. And yeah. you know, it, and we talk a lot about on the show about how the um, you know, the idea that when you go out now. Very often, all you do is stand and take, you know, Instagram selfies with person after person after person, and you do that for about two hours, and then you leave, and Mm -hmm. that's your club experience, and that's a very different thing than when you would go to clubs, and there would be no photographers there, and you could just let loose and be as crazy as you want, and not have to worry that it would end up... So different. Yeah, and there are still, you know, like we talk, um, uh, there's some parties here in, in LA that I've been to where there are some parties where it's a celebrity party and you go and you give your phone and you check your phone in because there's no phones allowed and that's the the, how they can let loose and there's other places where um i have a a friend who has parties at her house and if there's some famous people there and there's you know a lot of people there but if you took out your camera if you took out your phone and started taking pictures everyone would start of, <laughs> Like it's very, it's a very, it's a faux pas to do. So, I mean, I sort of appreciate that and I like that where mm-hmm. you, there are still places where it, there are safe spaces for you to go and be yourself and not have to worry about it because otherwise you do just end up at clubs, just selfie after selfie. After yeah. Selfie. It's very
0: different. I remember yeah. in Vancouver, somebody asked you how, how do you make a good underground scene or like it, at that time in Vancouver, we were really trying to get the underground raves in these cool locations. And you said, I don't know if you can have a true underground scene anymore with social media because there's no secret.
1: Yeah, because you know, when you think about punk and how it had to gestate at CBGB's for three or four years before, you know, in from like television and I mean, uh, you know, the band television and the Ramones and things like that. And then when Malcolm McLaren came and found it and went to London with it and then brought up Sex Pistols, I mean, all that hope happened over years and everyone was able to sort of refine the look and refine this. But if you have a scene now, like literally you could the party will happen, and the next day it's around the world, and everybody you have you know people doing a kooky look, and everyone you know you have someone in Sweden and someone in you know the Philippines doing it on a drag race the next day yeah and so there's no there's no gestation period anymore for scenes to sort of bubble up and cook no. on their own to bake on bake in their fabulousness. Um, Andy Warhol said
0: in the future, we'll all be famous for 15 minutes. Do you think that we're in that future now?
1: Mm, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, and does everybody deserve to be famous for 15 minutes? I, you know, Bitch, you I it. don't know. You know. No, but, but it is true. And you do have a lot of people who are very like, oh, like undeserving of it. And you just think, it's like, sad, oh, isn't Andy- it yeah, what hath you wrought, Andy, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, oh, you, br- you brought up such a good point about glamour being the generation before you because I don't know if you need star quality to be an influencer. They're making a lot of fucking money, way more than club stars did, that's for sure. But do, do you need that thing that you talked about, that Johnny Depp had, that Madonna had, that RuPaul has in order to be an influencer? Or is it the algorithm just sort of plucking you up?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Crazy. I, I don't have, yeah. Um, I have to imagine that some of these people um, have just, I mean, they've lucked into it, but other people, I mean, there are, I don't, I, I don't know. I know. This is, this I know. is a whole, I, I, I we, we should have had this pre conversation so I had an answer for you, but I don't have an answer
0: for you. It's something I'm just constantly thinking about when I look at social media and I think, is there something I could be doing differently? Like, how do these people just get these followings? But then I'm like, they're fucking 16, Peter. They're 20 years younger than you. Who cares? Move on with your life. Not a huge, like, whatever. It is what it is. But the world is changing and. Um,
1: you know, I'm no, so. But the thing is, you know, you you can't as much as you want to say I don't give a fuck about uh, you know followers and this and that and how what my numbers are and what you know the algorithm is t- doing. I know for a fact that you know um to get a book deal anymore you have to have. X amount of, of Instagram followers and Twitter followers before they'll even look at you and say, you know, or, or to be signed on for, you know, a modeling agency or, th- or anything, you have to have a following. That is what they need. I mean, that is the world that we live in. And I am lucky that I was sort of grandfathered into a lot of it. But I don't know if if at age 56, if I could just start off right now and try and get, uh, you know, 100,000 followers like that, it would be possible you know
0: or or how does it
1: affect the creative process if you are try- just, what are we losing by these people who are incredible incredible writers but they don't have the following so they can't get the agent so they can't get the publishing deal blah 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 like what what you know Kinderas, what what proofs are we are are not being given a, a shot what you know who are these people who just because they don't have the followers it doesn't have anything to do with their talent or what they could give to the world it's just they just don't have the followers so they aren't getting the opportunities
0: And they have AI now. Um, Evan and I were talking about this last night that I think it read it read. um, Well, you've probably seen on Instagram, first of all, those pictures of people, but also the 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 AI that's writing a horror story or a a scary story. It sort of like reads thousands of novels in a second and then writes it. What the fuck is that going to do? Are we going to be well, writing novels? I was, just novels I was
1: just reading a thread about that today about how you know twenty years ago we were told that you know computers were going to take over everybody's jobs and that you know can you know robots were going to take over everybody's and what we've learned is that. It's not the, the computers and robots that are taking over plumbers' jobs. It is the, they're taking over writers' jobs. They're taking over artists' jobs. As we thought that it was going to be, it was just going to take out, you know, assembly lines and things, things like that, but it's more than assembly lines. It's going to take, it takes out AI is going to take out the need for writers and artists. And, you know, people were talking about, um, you know, translating jobs, you know, that they went to school for eight years to learn, you know, 10 languages and be a translator. And now that they don't have those jobs anymore, what they do have is that the AI, that the computer and the translator, AI translator is so bad that they need to be editors to edit to the, the 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 transcripts and not do the actual work itself so they have been relegated to these low paying jobs to clean up what the computers are doing and it's the same thing with artists like com- commercial art where you're going to have the ai do all the commercial art and then you're going to have people come in and you know check, do the hands because ai can't do hands like so you've lost a whole Genre of artists that are just now coming in to clean up the AI. and they're so, humanizing the robots. They're putting the human
0: essence, the human finishing touches so that it doesn't yeah. look so strange. And so oh it's God. it's going to be
1: weird where, you know, you don't have writers. Anymore. And, so, you know, the AI songwriting is, you know, they just, they they put in, you know, 10,000 top number one songs and come up with the perfect pop song. And you don't need, you know, writers and songwriters. Oh, and you know
0: what? I'm definitely going to like that fucking song. You know I'll be fucking listening to it. I
1: love that <laughs> book.
0: <laughs> but they won't have singers anymore either.
1: There will be no more performers. It's just going
0: to be... No avatar. more performers. Yeah. I always had, when, I, when they started doing Hall Holograms of I think Tupac and Whitney Houston and stuff. I imagine Gaga doing like one concert that she films wherever, yes. and then she and pops up in a hologram. Yes, yeah. she pops up as a hologram in your living room, and you pay, you know, two hundred dollars, and then two billion people buy it. And yeah, the future is 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 robotic. So, right? where, and
1: I, so where is the future of creativity headed? Where, who are there, you know what what would it? It feels very bleak and dystopian to me. I have a feeling that it will probably be exciting to witness and watch to see how, what creative people will end up, how they will end up still being creative. But I don't know. It's it's a lot of people are going to make it, you know?
0: And, and I also think too, um, like drugs, the way people will, um, de-stress will be virtual. I don't know what this looks like, but instead of like taking a pill or doing a line, you plug in somehow and it, does something to your brain, you know. Well, fucking Elon Musk is is getting permission to get the Neuralink into people's yeah. brains. Like last night, actually, it's funny we're having this conversation now because last night Evan and I were talking about the. It was the first time I felt scared and a little bit <laughs> sad about the robots. It was always a joke, but I'm like, oh my god, what's what's going to happen? What is yeah, what is humanity man. without humanity? <laughs>
1: and uh, one of the problems uh. like what we've learned with Eon is i think two years ago we were all giving him the benefit of the doubt saying you know we need kooky billionaires to to push the needle forward to to take us to space and to to make electric cars and we were giving him the benefit of the doubt that what he was doing was good and right and where we needed to go but i think as we've seen with twitter that we put our faith in somebody who was a bad faith actor and who was not somebody who um, should be leading the world but we gave him the power to to change the to to take the reins when we should have not done that and how many other people are waiting in the wings that are bad faith actors that we mm-hmm. are going to give our trust to and they're going to say well no it's it's just it's a it's a small lobotomy and we're going to put a little thing in your brain and da, 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 and like before we know it we're all you know oh it just God. it feels like the, the potential for 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 us, as we've learned with Trump and everything like that, with giving these billionaires too much is not a good thing. We don't need to to make Jeff Bezos into a god or make, you know, Elon Musk into a god because it's going to backfire in all of our faces. When do
0: you remember when Trump was I think it was right as he was about to become president or after he had they started saying, you know, the only person that could beat him is Oprah. If only Oprah would have run, that's the billionaire we want. And I think about that a lot. Like, if we're going to have a billionaire, can't we have fucking Oprah? I think she'd be better.
1: But that's just it, because that's the same place we were at with Elon, where we think that having Oprah is... But having Oprah in charge of (laughs) world politics is probably not something we really need either. You know, I mean, she's great as a talk show host, but let's let's let people... Just because someone has a billion dollars doesn't mean they have the answers to every problem.
0: Yeah, it's true. Okay, look it. We've covered every topic (laughs) under the sun.
1: We're ending on AI. I we was so exhausted when we started. Uh, when we first got, I was like yawning. I was saying, I don't know that I can do this, Peter. And then you got me off and running. Here we are spouting off about <laughs> billionaires <Oprah for> president.
0: <laughs> I think a great way to wrap things up would be to hear, and this is kind of putting you on the spot. So if you can, you can, if you can't, you can. A message to the future creatives.
1: What would you want them to know? Well... Don't listen to anything we just said. Don't be put off by anything we just said and go out and do it on your own and whatever your path you think is, follow it and believe in it and do not be afraid of of the coming, you know, uh, terminators that are coming to get you because you can't live your life in fear of anything like that. You just have to go out and do the best to your uh, abilities and believe in yourself and, Um, take that chance to, you know, make that leap and, and throw yourself into the river and see where it takes you. And if you end up as a human robot hybrid,
0: throw a little glitter on your back, honey, and go dance. (laughs) Thank you so much, James. This has been so fun.
1: Thank you for having me. I love you. Oh, oh, oh,